Y'all, welcome back. Uh, I'm super excited this week uh, because after last week's episode, uh, Eric and I dug into the topic of arguing, debating, you know, whatever. Why do we love it so much? Because we do it all the time. And I wanted to get someone on the show that actually, I mean, actually gets like the ins and outs, actually knows what's going on. So we invited, knows what they're talking about. You know, someone not like us, someone yeah. that isn't just, you know, riffing while half drunk. Um, we invited an old friend of mine, Amanda Lopez Ford, former collegiate debate all-star, uh, as well as former debate coach at, uh, at Baylor University. A sick and bears. Sick and bears. Uh, so, Amanda, where are you right now, and how is the world your way with COVID and 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 you know all of this? Well, I am staying at my parents' house in Minnesota with my husband and almost three year old. But we normally live in Houston, but we just decided we had to get away from the heat and the virus. So we're up here. Just I'm a stay at home mom right now, so I just hanging out with him and doing the kid thing. That sounds dope. But okay, so I, I purposely phrased it that way because I wanted to bring up COVID simply because, look, I, I'm not smart enough to talk about COVID, just about how we are actually debating COVID. We're debating if it's real. We're debating if masks are real. We turn, as a species, everything into a debate. So I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not going down the road of, of masks and not masks. Wear a mask, but I'm not smart enough to discuss that. Hell, I'm not smart enough to do this episode because, Amanda, genuinely, I don't even know what to call you. What, what do you and your debate peers call each other? What, what did you, you like? Okay, I genuinely wanted to call you either a debate athlete or a debathlete, but I'm pretty sure that's not right. So, I what I've never heard debathlete before. <laughs> uh, Normally, we just call each other debaters. Okay. And uh, the joke that everyone makes when you first join the debate team is when you get good, you become the master debater. Hey, yo, naturally. <laughs> so when did you when did you first join? Was, was it high school? Yeah. So I took uh, an elective class my freshman year of high school that I heard had no homework and lots of boys. And you got nice. to school for Fridays of the semester. So it was like, check, I'm in for this easy what? A so I joined the debate team or the debate class, which was an offset of the debate team. And you kind of learned about the basics and about how it works. And you got invited. If you wanted to join the team, you could come to the after school meetings and then start going to tournaments. So my first year, I probably went to four debate tournaments that were like three rounds each, like hardly anything. Then I debated all through high school. I got recruited to come debate at Baylor University. I did five years on a full scholarship at Baylor for debate, and then two years after I finished that as a graduate student, getting coaching the debate team, and I also got my master's in a subset of the communications field, which is presidential rhetoric. Good So That sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> it really does. I was burned out and said, I need a year off, so I went and worked a normal job, and then was like, all right, I'm... That was the end of it for me. Normal jobs are so much easier. I think my last year of debate, I was probably working 60 plus hours a week doing debate stuff in addition to traveling and tournaments and being gone most weekends. Dude. Okay. So, I remember you, I mean, just in college, you know, we were young and maybe having a beverage or two or whatever, but you would still be working, even though we were like sort of quote unquote partying with like seven, eight people, you would still be like cutting cards or whatever, as I recall. Like that is it, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, does it get worse when you become the coach? It's even more so. I think actually coaching, it was a little less because it's like 
not my responsibility, not my job on the line. Fair. It's not my career to win here. So maybe that was like my last year of competing. I was working that much and then a little less during the week as a coach, but also that was my job as a graduate student. So I'd had to take fewer classes and my job was doing debate. Can I ask what's like the ultimate pinnacle of being debate like on that path? Like what is somebody's like, I've done it. I've mastered. Yeah. Like how do you reach the pinnacle of that field? All right. So um, maybe I should tell you first about like kind of the subdivisions of debate. Cause there's a couple different types. You have the first one, which is like early 1900s. It started is called Lincoln Douglas or LD. And that one is more about philosophy and values and morals. It's one-on-one. And then the type of debate I did was called policy debate or cross-examination debate. And it's like kind of developed in the post-World War II era. And it's two-on-two. And instead of debating a value topic like, oh, liberty is more important than security or something like that. This one is about policies that the government should enact. So it's the United States federal government should do X like whatever related to the topic was deport all Canadians check. Sure. Sure. Uh, so for me, I was in policy debate. So the pinnacle in high school, there's a tournament called the tournament of champions and you have to do well enough at tournaments throughout the year to get an invitation. So if you can say you won the tournament of champions or did really good, that's like, you're good for high school. And then it's kind of similar in college. There's a, the national debate tournament at the end of the year you have to qualify. You can either be ranked as one of the top 20 teams in the country, or you have to qualify by attending a, it's split up into districts and each district sends so many teams based on the size. So you either have to be the top or you have to be good enough in your district to qualify. So, and then to say I won the NDT or even was in the last few rounds of the tournament is pretty impressive because those people go on to be like, clerk for Supreme Court justices. And like, I don't know if you know, like Nate Cohn, he writes for the New York Times. He was a debater that I knew in high school, or there's like some, a lot of names that I knew in high school and college are like at the top of like the legal field or political or, you know, newspaper writing and that kind of thing. But they're policy focused. Yeah. So it's all very policy focused. So it's like government jobs and legal jobs. That's friggin' awesome. So, okay, so it's you, just in your specific subset, it's you and another person versus another team of two people. And then what, there's like a judge, a couple of judges? How do you, how do you I mean, this is such a vague question. How do you win a debate? Okay, so it's two on two, and you have one judge. Uh, at, at the average tournament, you'll have three to eight rounds, depending on how high up you are. And after those set rounds are finished, then they have what they call break rounds. So they take just the top 10, 20% of teams and then have a NCAA bracket style, like single elimination. So it's like the number one seed will face 16 to 15, you know, and then single elimination. So as those brackets get smaller, you get more judges. So usually you start with three, then you have five, then seven. I think the finals of the national debate tournament has like 13 or something. Good God. And those people, it's like normally they're coaches or other people who just kind of do debate, like who are in it and do it kind of freelance to make money on the weekends. But at the national debate tournament, you get like, yeah, the solicitor general is one of your judges now. And like famous debate people will come back and 
or do you people get who nervous? run and like when you see that that cut like that quality of of just I guess debate person sitting down like does does it like does it mess with you at all or at that point like everybody's a debater you're all just kind of in this together I think you feel comfortable because you it's like playing sports it's like if you're a professional athlete it's like you've thrown that football so many times that it's like I'm just gonna do what I do and hope it works this time but I have never debated in the final rounds of the NDT not even close uh, so I've never had to debate in front of those kind of people. I mean, I've debated in front of like pretty prestigious college coaches and people who have been involved in debate for a long time, but never like that very last echelon. I didn't quite make it that high. Fair enough. Cause like, dude, I, I remember while we were, uh, while we were in school over in Maastricht at, at, for whatever reason in class, we had like a class debate. Do you remember this? You mm-hmm. and I were on a team and like Audrey and, uh, what's his name? Paul were on the other team. And mm-hmm. like, I started talking and I, I put my hands as I always do in front of my mouth. And you literally elbowed me in the ribs and you're like, get your hands out of your face. And I was like, Oh, this girl's good. Like, I remember thinking then that was 15 years ago, I was just like, oh God, this girl like knows what she's doing. Like I just talk like whatever, but like, so, okay. So the, clearly the closest thing Eric and I have ever done to anything and we're not at all. Eric, do you remember in high school uh, when we took the class apologetics? You know, I do remember that. Yeah, dude. Okay. So Amanda, uh, not only cause Amanda went, Dan, Amanda and I went to Baylor. So, you know, Christianity and all that. Eric and I not only, uh, we, we both went to a junior high and high school that was also a Christian school. So we were taught apologetics, which is how to argue Christianity or that God exists or whatever, but like, sure, I was in youth group. I know. Oh, there you, go. you did it. Yeah. yeah. So like, dude, okay. So like we as a species love arguing so much that even in high school and I guess in junior high, we teach others how to argue just, you know what I mean? Like it's as if it's a part of like just who you are. If you're not able to argue, you, you are like less confident of a person. You know what I mean? Like, does that make any sense? Like Eric, like Eric, you remember that class, right? You, you, we were, we were literally judged and graded on how well, we could argue essentially. Yeah. But I mean, isn't part of doing that just sort of helping people establish what they believe. Is that more what it was? You think? I mean, I I think that was maybe not what that class was a part of, but I think maybe the general idea (laughs) teaching apologetics or something along those lines would be to say, Hey, maybe do a little self-examination. And if you actually believe something, you should probably be able to back it up. And if you can't back it up, maybe you should question whether or not you believe it. God, both y'all are smarter than me. All right. I will tell you what I think about apologetics versus something like debate, where I think apologetics, you have a starting point of Christianity is true. And how can I defend that? That is like a belief I think most Christians have, of course. And so apologetics seeks to defend an already existing viewpoint. And I don't think most apologetics people would, maybe they would support the question asking, but at the fundamental basis, there's a truth they're trying to defend. Whereas debate, the question is more about what is the truth rather than how do I support the truth? I mean, right. You have to prove that it's true. You're questioning more at the basis of like, what is truth versus I think apologetics was start with some kind of givens that they're trying to defend. So they're fundamentally different things. Right. Interesting. See, that's that's part of the same circle, but different approaches to thinking about and utilities like, right. Like debate is not about finding truth for me. It's about, finding truth to persuade other people about my argument. And that's like kind of a different function than like, I can argue things I don't believe in, but apologetics is more about I'm finding truth for my own sake instead of playing the game of debate. Yeah. They're different goals. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. 
the game of debate always seemed very fun. I'm clearly not uh, intelligent enough to do it, but what are some of like the written rules, like as far as how to stand, how to move your hands, how how to speak with a cadence? You know what I mean? Like, are, are there some like absolutes in debate, or is it? Can you kind of free range it once you're there? All right. So the rules in policy debate are: you have a resolution. One team is affirmative. One team is negative. And you have set speech times, which are eight minutes for the first four speeches with three minutes of questioning afterwards, and then five minutes for the last four speeches. Otherwise, there are no official rules. You can do whatever you want. So I would say typically most people, especially when you're in more conservative areas or around more conservative judges or schools, because there's definitely runs a gamut of like very conservative traditional debate schools versus very liberal free thinking, break all the barriers kind of schools. So it depends kind of where you are in the country, what kind of circuit you're in. But most people will dress up a little bit like lawyers. That's what you're supposed to do, but not everybody does it. Uh, most people will stand up while they're speaking and stand up when you're asking questions of the other person. The one thing that sets policy debate apart is that people speak very, very fast. So if you go look this up on YouTube or something, there's a bunch of documentaries about what policy debate looks like. And they speak so fast that if you were to listen to it, you would not understand 90% of what they're saying. It's like auctioneer speed. Interesting. Like literally, as that's like a big part of training is working on how fast you can read intelligibly to other debaters so that you can read more arguments. Because if you're faster, you can make more arguments in the same amount of time. So Whoa. it's like boxing. I mean, in a sense in that like, if I can throw a hundred punches and you can't even see them coming, like it, they all count if they connect. But if you throw a hundred arguments, honestly, I probably couldn't hear it. So they would all go right past yeah. my, right over my head. But it's interesting that debate is intended then to convince somebody else of something. So your the idea is to present as many arguments as you can, not to present one that sticks. Well, I think this general strategy is, first of all, you have a judge who has been trained in this, so right, they can sense. understand you. They know the shorthand, the lingo, all that kind of stuff. That makes and, sense. Um, the other part of it is, at the beginning, you make a lot of arguments because you want to get everything out there on the board. And there's a theory, which is not really a rule, but in the first four speeches, you make new arguments. In the last four speeches you kind of whittle down to your best few arguments. Okay. So in the beginning, you want to make a lot of arguments because maybe your opponent will miss one of them or what we would call dropping. So they drop an argument and it's like, oh, you didn't respond to my claim that X, Y, Z, and now we're in the last four speeches and you can't make a new response to that. Right. So I can build on that now. Right. So okay. you want to make a lot of arguments, both because like, okay, you see what their responses are, kind of pick your best ones towards the end. But also, they may forget one, and that makes it a lot easier for you to win at the end. Interesting. So that's part of the strategy of speaking fast. And it is extremely dense because it's all about government policy and regulatory policy. And now there's kind of a new stream that's all about, like, philosophy and postmodern philosophy and how it relates to, like, bureaucracy and state efficiency and that kind of stuff. So it is very complex and very dense and is, like, 200 miles a minute. So, so Aaron ahead. Sorkin's underselling it is what you're telling me. What's that? Aaron Sorkin's underselling it is what. You're oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much of it was a game to you? Like how much fun? Like at 
was it always fun? Was it fun up until a point? And then once it kind of became a job ish, did it become less? You know what I mean? Like how much of it was a fun game and for how long of it was a fun game? Well, that's what got me like into it. Like I did this class and it was like, yeah, these are my people. This is my game. Like it's sports without having to run. Like <laughs> You still get to be smart and like have these strategies, but there is zero running, uh, a lot more like reading and stuff I like doing. So for me, it was like, great. It hits the sports competitive nature for me right yeah. away. So that's how I got into it and got super competitive about it. And that's like, just kind of built on to like, you have to be competitive because there is always somebody who will outwork you. There's always people smarter than you. So if you're not driven to like work really hard, you can go and do fine and learn a lot, but to win, you have to be extremely competitive. So it is, a, it's like a sport yeah. and it takes as much time as a sport as much like specialized knowledge, like, you know, when you talk to like an NBA player about basketball, you're like, uh, I didn't even know what, or what are they doing? Like they know so much more than you even think is possible just because you're in it all the time. So for me, until I started coaching, I loved it every single day to the very end. It was like, it's my favorite thing to do. I really liked it. I enjoyed coaching to an extent, but when you're not competing, it's like you can help other people win. But I, for me, that just didn't scratch the same itch because I couldn't play the game anymore. So it was like, eh, I did it to try it out and to like get my master's and my fiance at the time was still there, not done. So it was like, well, this is like a good way for us to stay together. And yeah. like, I thought I was going to go to PhD school and stuff. So it's like, this is a good path to get to PhD school. But then now. That is awesome. So, I mean, clearly we find it, I mean, you obviously found it incredibly entertaining, incredibly fun. And I think everybody does like people tune in all the time to sports debate shows, even like cooking shows where like the three judges will debate whose food tastes better. Like we, even for, even as a third party, we love it. We, we, you know, as an entertainment source, but also we use it for very serious concepts. Like million dollar lawsuits are settled because of some lawyer beat a different lawyer with his arguments. Like some people and some companies have literally gone bankrupt because the person arguing for them didn't do a good enough job. I mean, people have been put to death because their lawyer didn't argue or debate well enough. You know what I mean? But point is we use debates for everything Uh, specifically, or most obviously as of, as of right now uh, in, you know, July 16th, 2020, we use it to pick our presidential candidates. So uh, it's actually, I'm glad you said Lincoln Douglas earlier, as I'm sure you're going to know everything I'm about to say, but the first political debate in America, 1858, Lincoln Douglas. Uh, E, did you know this? Back in the day, uh, these political debates, they were three hours long. I I did not know that. Bro, first guy talks for an hour. Second guy talks for an hour and a half. First guy comes back and talks for 30 minutes. Open question, either one of y'all. Can you imagine the modern era politician? Trying to speak for 90 minutes straight without interruptions, without a teleprompter, without being queued up questions that are clearly softball tosses. Can you imagine? And you don't have to name any particular politician if you want to, by all means. Can you imagine anybody, literally anybody, doing that well nowadays? I'll let the expert go before me. Well, okay. (laughs) I have some uh, context for this for you. Uh, So the Lincoln-Douglas debates, very famous, important debates. Uh, you have to remember that at the time there was no TV, no radio, mm-hmm. no, I mean, a book is like the most exciting thing you could find or someone playing their fiddle. Like, 
what are you going to do? Like there's nothing like mass entertainment did not exist. And also no news of any kind other yeah, than their exposure was maybe a weekly that. newspaper. So it's like, well, if this person is coming to speak, they're going to be in my town one time. I'm going to go. Everybody in town is going to be there because there's literally probably nothing else to do. Yeah, or this is town's little, over. Right. This is like an entertainment thing to do. So people would go to these speeches and have picnics and hang out and talk. And like, really, most people were not paying attention to most of the debate because uh. they also had no microphones, no speakers, no way to project what they were saying. So it's really like the first, what, maybe six, eight rows of people could hear them. And then nobody else could even hear what they were doing. So they that's were just here for a party. A lot of like what was important in like 18th century oratory is or 19th century oratory is like, posture and gesture and like your composure because maybe people couldn't hear you so they needed to see you projecting that air of confidence and mm. you know i love this looking like you won looking like you belong because I, i'm trying to angle to that actually that's amazing because well and the, the next question that i had that was queued up was can you imagine nowadays the american public sitting for three hours listening to people talk can, can you imagine the ad, without commercials, without, you know, obviously all distractions of their phones or whatever, like, would that even be possible? Like, you know what I mean? Like, could you even get people in a room to do that nowadays, even with speakers, even with video, even with like, is that even, would, would we even come close? Well, apparently we never did, is what I'm <laughs> So, sure as hell ain't gonna now. I'm thinking we probably haven't progressed into that. Um, yeah. I think there's probably just too many other options, right? Like, there's so many different forms of entertainment. I can't imagine us just sitting there and listening to people talk like that for that long over and over again and, and even the broadcast presidential debates you see what a couple million people watch them yeah and it's easy it's right in your house mm -hmm. it's, you can record it and people still don't care to watch it that's amazing okay so at the end at least in my opinion and maybe I'm making this up, or maybe I, I'm, I'm romanticizing the past, but the, the two gentlemen back in the day, whenever it was, whoever it was, Lincoln Douglas or anybody else, they were courteous enough to not jump all over each other when speaking. You know what I mean? Like, if somebody said something that you disagreed with, you still had to give them their time. There wasn't a moderator that had to, like, separate them or, like, mute mics or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know that modern-day politicians even could do that courteously and respectfully, but point is, I, I honestly think modern-day politicians actually are – I think they favor – being cut off constantly and having to restart constantly because I doubt many of them actually would be able to speak that long. And I, I think they it, it would would rather only speak in, in perfect in, in little like 30 second clips that can be uploaded to Facebook. You know what I mean? Like like just to compare the 2020 Democratic primary debate this year, Sanders spoke for 19 minutes and 59 seconds total. And that was over like 26 different chunks of time. Biden was real close with like 19 minutes, 37 seconds. And, and the list goes down and down and down. But nobody spoke for more than five minutes at any given time ever. Five minutes. We're talking back in the day they did 90. So, I mean, I, th I think it's, you know, the modern day attention span, but genuinely the more tailor made for clips to be uploaded to Facebook and Reddit. Yeah, it's part of what they've been trained to do, right? Like that's part of the strategy is you get that and you get your 10 word answer or whatever, and then you move on. Yeah. I think a lot of this also comes not necessarily from the politicians themselves, but the medium through which the debate is moderated and how for TV, like you said, people don't want to watch longer debates. The people like CNN or the networks who do the debates, they choose the format and they could choose a format that would give people, you know, more structured. Here's my five minutes. Here's your two minute rebuttal. Now you talk. Now I'll respond. They could do that, but they choose not to because 
well, I don't really know exactly why, because that would make more sense to me. But I do think you're right that like they're after like those clips and the drama mm-hmm. and that sometimes it's the medium. Because if you go back, especially for these politicians who were in the Senate or the House and watch some of their like floor speeches, like people like Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and some of the other people who are in Congress, they give 30 to 40 minute speeches sometimes with, you know, maybe they have notes or posts poster boards or whatever. Sure. They're giving like a real substantive speech. And it's like, I think the audience is very different because you're speaking to other Congress people who tend to be more educated or should be more educated, more informed, more interested in the details. Whereas like, I think the average person really just wants to hear the headline. They just want to hear what makes them feel good. They're not as interested in like teasing out the nitty gritty of like how this should work as they are in those other more ephemeral things like what makes them feel good or what they want a big headline or something. Hmm. Dude, you, I mean, it agreed with both of you because you're right. The, the television medium changed everything. I mean, it obviously Kennedy Nixon in 1960, but I mean, Nixon was regarded as having the advantage. He had years of experience. He was far more knowledgeable about foreign policy. Like we've all heard this before, but JFK put on makeup. Ergo, he looked better on TV. So he was widely considered the victor. And at least to me, that is microcosmic of the entire debate system of modern era politics. Whoever looks like they win, wins. But apparently even, I mean, man, as you said, back in the day, whoever stood up straighter, whoever had a probably a nicer beard looked better. So, I mean, and, and, and I'll admit, maybe I'm overplaying this, but I genuinely think when Donald Trump and, and Hillary were debating that, you know, when they were doing their thing, however many years ago, four, three and a half, anyways, when he said that whole wrong thing, and it was like his cutoff to Hillary. His base was so happy about that because it looked like he was in control. That small moment, three seconds, it looked like he was in control. And I genuinely believe that's why he won. Now, sure, technically he lost popular vote and maybe Russians and you know all that, probably, sure. Anyways, do you all think that's as big a deal as I do? That simple one six-second less-than clip of him just interrupting her saying wrong and showing control, even if it's fake and whatever, do you think that honestly propelled him as far as I think it did? I don't know how to answer this one. Um, I'd say Trump sort of breaks all the metrics we normally use for these kind of things, right? Like, sure, he pulled okay enough to be like within the margin or whatever, but, you know, and with him especially, like what I may see is like threatening, like, you know, he's walking behind Hillary or juveniles such as the wrong. Some see as strong and like convicted. Hmm. So I don't know. I kind of, I did a little research. Very weird, I know. Um, there's a summary of a bunch of journalistic research papers uh, at the Harvard Shorenstein Center on Media Politics and Public Policy, which I had not heard of till an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my librarian mother who taught me how to research shit. Shout uh, out. <laughs> yeah, Joe Hatter. Um, oh, love her to death. This summation essentially says that in general, during um, debates, we make two judgments, like if the candidate is big enough and if they're the better choice. Big enough. So they say – Right, like big enough as in do they fit what we view the job as? Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Which is kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Like sort of the wrong being in charge, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. this, they sort of conclude that the earlier debates are more powerful in learning like what the candidates, who the candidates are and about their policies. And they're sort of good for agenda setting. So you could push a topic to the forefront that might be more helpful for you. Um, but they sort of concluded that maybe the political debates in general aren't as influential influential as we think they are, and that sometimes social scientists struggle to quantify what they actually mean. 
So they, quote, say, making meaningful judgments about two competing messages and assertion of facts is difficult for people. And some people think that we're predisposed to assign debates more significance because, and I quote, they conform to ideas of rational deliberations compared to like ads. Wow. So it's, it's almost all a sham. So no, they do matter. They just are the thing we're used to saying matters. So in some ways, maybe we view them with more significance than they actually have when people walk into the voting booth. Hmm. That's, I mean, it makes sense, honestly. That's, that's friggin' wild. As, it, and man, as, as far like when you sit down and watch debates, because I'm assuming you do, do, do you always, get, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you pick up on cues that are, are either like flaws or do, do you like catch yourself going like, ooh, that was a good retort? Or what, like, it's like, if I sit down, like, I'm terrible at basketball, but if I sit down and I see a good pass, I, I, I have a visceral reaction. I go, oh, that's a nice pass. Or like, oh, that's a nice. Pass. Do you do that to debates? You know what I mean? Like, do, do you catch yourself like picking up on small moments like, oh, that was really good or oh, that was really bad? Yeah, like I said, the number one thing that bothers me is the format, because I think not having a set amount of time, like you said, that it's all about who talks over the other person. It's not about substance. It doesn't give people the opportunity, equal opportunity to present their ideas. So I think they're flawed. And it makes me mad every time. Does it? Watching how it is. It is what it is. It's an open forum for discussion or whatever. Uh, Yeah, you can definitely see like who knows what they're talking about. Who has been trained to speak the right way? And like you said, in these debates, things like how you stand, how your voice sounds, how you move your hands, how you respond to interjections, that all like matters in the perception of are you strong enough? And to like go back to what you said about Trump is like for Trump, debating Hillary on the facts is a losing proposition, right? Like he cannot beat her on the facts of the merits. So it's like if you can't pound the facts, pound the table. And that's, I think, what his strategy was, was to make these big moments of the debate about things like, oh, did you hear him just say wrong? Did you see the way he stood behind her? Did you see this other, like, kind of outrageous thing he did? And it's like, I think that's his whole strategy of getting his name, no publicity is bad publicity, getting his name out there, getting the focus on what he wants you to be focused on instead of, like, what the F is his policy issue? I have no idea what he's running on other than America's great. I love America. I'm build the best. The wall. <laughs> and build, maybe build the wall, which yeah. is like not even a policy. Like, so for me as somebody who is like deeply invested in the policy world, it's like mind boggling how you could like, why are you voting for him? But no, there's, did. there's also a very big emotional component to that of like people vote partially based on logic but also based on like the emotion. And that all goes back to like Aristotle talking about like ethos, pathos, logos is like people vote on how they feel. And there's some really good evidence that when you're presented with facts that contradict your belief, it doesn't make you question your belief. It re-entrenches that belief that like, if someone's telling me I'm wrong, I'm going to dig my heels in and say, no, double down. I'm right. Like people respond really poorly to being challenged on their beliefs So because I think they don't have to be challenged very often. So when they are challenged by having to watch something like that and hear a politician say things they don't necessarily agree with, most people's response is not, huh, is that true? Should I go look up some facts and reevaluate my own beliefs? No, most people are like, no, F that. I believe the opposite and get really entrenched. And that makes a lot of sense, especially if you consider a lot of times 
people's political identity is tied up with their own identity in general, exactly. or sort of how they define themselves. So like to question something like that, even a further level down, it makes a lot of sense that people would just be like, nope, believe what yeah. I believe. And I, I think mean, someone like Trump who strips policy from his appeal, that his appeal is based on how he makes you feel and these kind of more abstract things like that helps drive the like sportification of politics where it's like, Oh, this is my team. You know, I'm never going to give up on the Vikings no matter how bad they do. It's like, <laughs> but if your political party sucks, you should give up on them. But people have a really hard time doing that, especially when the appeal is based not on policies and rational logic, but on emotion and loyalty and those kind of things that I think a lot of people feel for Donald Trump. Dude, I love the word the sportification because literally like, we are a nation. We have, you know, NFL fans have killed each other in parking lots. In, in Europe, soccer fans or they call football, whatever fan, have killed each other in parking lots. Like we are that type of a person that's just as a species. And we do that with politics. If, I, if I'm a Republican, Republicans are never wrong. And trust me, I've met plenty of Democrats. It's not the point. Both sides do that. Or at least some people from both sides do that. So I, I think you're right. It's almost as if Trump went on. It's almost as if Trump was like, a reality show star, and he knew how to play off emotions. It's weird, but okay. So uh, here's something I did not know. After uh, when Kennedy, I guess, beat Nixon in the debates because he looked better on TV, did y'all know that they then pulled presidential debates and they did not show them on TV for the next 16 years? I did not know that until literally four days ago. So I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people realized then what we all know now is that with TV being this new medium and looking good, winning, all of these pale old white guys don't look good on TV. So, hey, maybe we pull this from TV for a bit until we can kind of figure this out and get a hold on it. Then 16 years later, Gerald Ford, who took over for Nixon after Nixon resigned, Ford agreed to debate Jimmy Carter on TV. And that's kind of what got the ball back rolling as both sides agreed. But then, of course, Ronald Reagan, ex-Hollywood actor and overall just good looking dude, won the presidency. Coincidence? Probably not. So clearly, I think we care, obviously, how people look when they debate and how they, you know, how they sound and whatever, whatever. But here, here's a question, uh, Amanda. There was, I remember you showed me a video. I mean, I, I know there are, there is strategy and whatever in debate, but I remember you showed me a video of a team of debaters that just like danced around and such and like genuinely purposefully made it into a farce. Do you remember showing me this video? Probably. I know yeah. what you're talking about. That, that style strategy. What Can you just kind of explain that for a second? Because I, I find that it's, it's not exactly what Trump did, but I find it's more what he was aiming for. So I think most traditional types of debate you have it's all based on logic reasoning like what going back to like what aristotle set up is like what is an argument is like well this hurts me things that hurt me are bad therefore this thing is bad that's like the traditional construction of an argument which is all logic kind of math based whatever so this other form of argumentation where people do things like dance around or just play music or whatever, do other silly, bringing magic eight balls to the debate round and other just r silly things. That's awesome. Now, it kind of stems out of like postmodernism that kind of questions like, should we be logical? Should we be rational? Is that the like ideal way for humans to make decisions? And a lot of that comes out of like, after World War One and World War Two, like questioning like, Oh, well, look at like Nazi Germany was very efficient and logical and use this like modernism, which is like, logic and rationality to justify or to like do what they did. So you got people like Sartre and Camus and some of those people like questioning the systems of logic and rationality. So out of that 
postmodern movement comes things like Dadaism or like surrealism that are just like, oh, nothing matters. Everything's a joke. Like life is pointless. Nihilism. Nihilism. A lot of that kind of stuff. So those arguments stem from like, okay, you can debate about the topic, but we know that life is fleeting and nothing matters. So why don't we just dance instead of talk about this boring stuff? Yeah. Wow. So in the times of COVID, I think hell is other people really takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes sense. Dude, that's so because oh my god! Like honestly, I'm not. I like I'm trying to grasp that the the idea that you would fight logic with questioning does logic even matter is so hard for me to to even try and grasp. But it's right. brilliant. And that's because it's like so deeply ingrained in Western civilization. All the things we're raised are all based on like logic, rationality, math, science. You know. Yeah. Can you make it make sense? Right. That's that's the building block of everything, or at and least like, for, you know, westernized. Maybe it's not like that. Is just a very particular, like not just Western, but like very entrenched in Western society. So for us to question that is like it's like people questioning like democracy or freedom. It's like, yeah. Well, what do you mean? Of course, democracy is good. Of course, freedom's good. And it's like, well, but what if it's not? Yeah. And like, not that I'm saying it is or isn't, but like that question of like being able to question even that base level of like is logic and rationality even a good thing maybe they're bad things so maybe we should just say f it and dance around yeah just or have a fight club or yeah yeah do i'm glad you said fight club uh my next question did anyone did you ever hear or see or be privy to anyone ever getting physical in debate, either practice or actual debate, you know, tournaments or whatever, what was, did, did you ever see or even hear about any, did anybody ever get like, did they ever fight? You know what I mean? Or even get close? You know what I mean? I mean, people, you have to remember debate is a sport of words. So when people fight, they fight with their words and people are vicious to each other sometimes. But as far as physical fighting, like maybe every once in a while, but nobody, that was not a regular thing. It was much more about like, oh, well, you did something I don't like. I'm either going to be mean to you. I'm going to like cheat against you. I'm going to spread rumors about you to other people. Just, you know, there are other ways to fight other than with your fist, especially with a bunch of like smart people who all run in the same circles. And, you know, we live all over the country, but get together in the same city every weekend. Yeah, we'll see you again soon. Right, we'll see you next weekend. Like, and definitely there's like tension about like, the debate itself, like, oh, we think you did something unethical or you cheated, or we think you like, oh, that argument shouldn't have won. You won. The judge said you won, but we know you didn't win. Like, you know, a lot of resentment about like the way people debated you or the outcome because it's very competitive and very high stakes. So, and not to mention, it's a community that like is very small, very insular, and spends a lot of time together so oh who hooked up with who and like oh well i slept with that person who slept with that person and oh they're best friends with you but you had a fight with them you know man like when you have a small group of people in that kind of environment you just get a lot of personal conflicts and so it's like and everybody knows everybody and it's a bunch of college kids like I mean, even NBA locker oh. rooms, dudes have slept with each other's wives. So, like, the, the parallels right. between debate and actual sport. Are Shout out to Delonte West. What up, Delonte? That's exactly what I was thinking about, Don. I know <laughs> you were. Sorry, I know you were. Anyways, uh, it, 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 see, it does. It seems so it's, – it's crazy how similar. But, okay, did, would they ever 
during a debate straight away. Like say, Amanda, say it was me, me and you across the table from, from Eric and, and some guy named Steve. Would anybody ever just be like, Steve, you are a piece of shit. Did that ever happen? Oh, Did anybody ever try- really Yeah. direct attacks? Like, okay. At the high school level, I think people were much more restrained and more civil. As you get into the college level where it's like more freedom to do what you want and less repercussions from your high school principal is going to be mad if you say the word (laughs) in front of mother or high school coach who gets mad about it. People in college, like there's much less school pressure. Some schools have more involvement in the team, but like it's much more separated from the school than a high school team. So yeah, people, I mean, like people would say that kind of stuff to each other and wow it just That's you just gotta let it like and sometimes it's an intimidation technique like oh so it's a strategy if, a lot of the time right, if, if i start like badgering you or kind of like say like talking shit about your girlfriend or your friends or your team or your coach like yeah. is that gonna like get at you and make you debate worse because yeah then because usually before every debate you have about 30 minutes to an hour to prepare because they announce who you're debating, who's affirmative, who's negative, and then you have about an hour, usually, before the debate starts. So you go in your room, you get set up at your table, and the judge doesn't show up till two minutes before the debate starts, because they have nothing to do. So you're in there, okay, we're over here, you're over there, we got our posse of coaches and people around us, you got your posse, like... Maybe there's some like proxy shit talking between the coaches or like, especially the younger kids on the team. Like some tournaments, you can only have two or three teams. So your younger teams can't debate and they'll come and just like watch debates or help you cut cards or whatever. So before debates, it's like, oh, you're going to help me get my evidence ready or do some like grunt work for me before this debate happens. So you got like a big group of people on each side and you know, as you get farther into the tournament, that group gets bigger as your other teams get eliminated. Oh, so yeah. you have like, oh, now we've got, we start with like, oh, two coaches and maybe one freshman is with us. And then, okay, final round, we've got six coaches and 12 other debaters on our side. So it's always like, oh, who can like kind of that fronting, like, oh, well, look <laughs> how big our posse is. Like, you have like one person. Yeah, oh. well, and that's what we call it, the debate squad. That was Get our, out. Like, oh, that's dope. Yeah, so it's like, this is our squad. And like that's why it's like, if even if you're not debating, even if you've been eliminated, you got to show up, mm. help your teammates, make your school look good. Go flex like, on them. Yeah, so there's definitely, like you said, it's a sport. And Yeah, it feels so, like, so much like a sport, it, including uh, like uh, complaining about the refs. Every sport, mm-hmm. ever, the, the only game, in my opinion, that is true unto itself is chess. Maybe checkers, fine. But there's no luck. There's no ref. There's no nothing. It, it, every other game, apparently, including debate, you can you can complain about a bad call. Or, oh, you know, the, we always would like on the way home, we would always play this game. It's like best and worst. What's your best moment, worst moment of the weekend? And then we would say, who's your least favorite judge this weekend? And that's like. Oh, open the floodgates to be like, oh, this guy. Like, if we'd had a better judge, we definitely would have won. I can't believe this. And like, oh, I and, love it. And it's like, oh, then they judge you next week, and you're just like, fuck, I had this, this last guy, weekend. Yeah. And like, every once in a while, it's like, it's heated, high stakes. Like, there was this one debate round. We had this judge. He made a really bad decision. And I was just like, asking him questions like, this isn't right. No. What about this? What about this? And like, maybe pushing it a little much. And then it ended. It's like, well, fine. I can see you're just an idiot. So I'm just going to stop asking questions and leave. And like, it was like, I was just like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. But he was just kind of like, 
okay. You said that to the judge, that you will see again. Yeah, and so then it's like, well, I hope he doesn't judge us again. <laughs> but like, at the same time, having been a judge, I understand, like, sometimes you're like, well, I don't know, because, like, they both made mistakes. How do you decide correctly? Of course, when you're debating, it's like, well, I did everything right. They made all the mistakes. Mm-hmm. But as a judge, it's like you see both sides, and it's like sometimes you make a decision that's like, yeah, maybe – it could have gone the other way. Maybe if you had said what you're asking me right now in the debate, I would have voted for you, but you didn't. So, and it's like, I understand the frustration of like, you worked really hard. You thought you were right. And then you lost and that sucks. So it's like when kids would be like that to me, it was just like, okay, I'm sorry. You're upset. Yeah. I get it. That's all I can say. Like, what do you want? And fine. You want to call me an idiot? It's not going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> I judge like a hundred debates every year. So like, wow. and I I've, love it. like, you know, I've debated like thousands of debates in my life. So one person telling me I'm dumb is not the end of the world as a debater or as a judge. It's like, okay. I've been called that's dumb fine. many times as recently as my son. So that's, I'm getting used to that. That's been really yeah. interesting. Can I ask you like a completely random question is, do you ever lose arguments in your personal life ever? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. As long as I've known you, I've never seen it. I also married a debater, so people leave. Yeah, the dinner table. Do you think you could could be married to a non-debater? Would that even be fair? Ooh, is that a thing? Yeah. Do do people in the debate world are they usually attracted to other people that at least have that type of of argumentative skill? Oh well, and a lot of it is like, oh, people you're around, so you're only around debate people. So a lot of people we knew in debate end up like partnered with or married to somebody else who was a debate person. So it's very common. You see a lot of like coaches are like husband and wife or, you know, wife and wife, husband, husband, whatever, Yeah, whatever. like partners, uh, because it's like, Oh, we can coach at the same school and have a job in the same town and I'll travel this weekend. You travel next weekend. We can travel together. It's like very convenient for your personal life because debate takes up a lot of time and it's a very unconventional schedule. So it's like if you don't have, especially if you're still coaching, if you don't have a debate person as your partner, it's a lot of like explaining like, yeah, I'm going to be gone every Friday through Monday Good for the God. next four oh. months except yeah. for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And then I'm going to be gone every day from December 26th till January <laughs> 12th when school starts. So Oof. like, yeah. You got to be on the same team. Yeah. That, that has to happen. So, but I, I mean, the thing is like, I can see why other people are wrong, but I also think it helps me see when I'm wrong more often. Like, because I can be like, I'm not afraid to step back and be like, well, am I wrong? Because like part of the preparation for debate is t- making, getting your arguments ready and then going through it and being like, okay, where are all the holes? Where could I be wrong? How will people attack this? And kind of since at debate tournaments, you have to be both affirmative and negative. So, you don't know what you're going to get, right? Right. You get half, you get guaranteed half of each. So you get usually four and four, or three and three, whatever. So you have to know both sides of the argument and be able to see even your very best argument. Like, where are the holes? Every argument has holes. So where are they? And what's my best response to them? And sometimes you're like, well, fuck, I hope they don't find this hole because <laughs> I don't have a very good answer to it. Like, yeah, yeah that's like uh, my very last debate. We went up against this team. We had debated so many times. It's in a break, the octafinals of the national debate tournament. So it's a single elimination. We're affirmative. So it's like, all right, this is our argument. Like we get to stand on our ground and make this argument we've been making all year. And I know where the holes are. And there's like, 
I've been working on this for a whole year, this one argument. So it's like, I'm going to patch every hole and I know all the angles. And it's like, there's one or two arguments that if somebody was really smart, they could make and we would lose. And that's what these people did. And I was just like, well, they, they did it. They found, they found the hole after like, I think here we won something like 70 or 80% of our affirmative debates. So it's like 80% of the time we won. And then just one time these people were, they were like good friends of mine too. So it was like, I didn't feel too bad, but it's like, man, that was my last debate ever. And you found the hole in my amazing argument that I've been working (laughs) on for like literally probably 11 months on this one argument. And you know, it's gotta be a crazy feeling hearing it coming out of their mouth and you just being like, uh, like, and to know that it's like, I'm done. I'm never going to debate again. And that's it. We lost. We don't get to go to the next round. Like it's over. It's like, you know, people who like compete at the, like again, sports, like this is your last Olympics, you know, this could be your last run, your last attempt. And then you're done. Like you're not going to make it four more years for most athletes and there is no more debate. So that's so wild. That's fascinating. Yeah. Eric, just random left turn. Just cause I, have you ever come close to, have you ever lost your cool in an argument? Have you ever come close to fighting anyone in an argument? Because I genuinely can never recall you doing so. I mean, the only person I think I've ever physically assaulted is my younger brother. I was, I figured as much. It, it had right? to have been. you, you, it had, I mean, you and for, Nick, I'm sure have gone totally. Yeah. You and Sam too. Right. Like exactly. Oh, like we're about the same age difference. And so, there's a famous story. I hardly ever got mad. I hardly ever yelled at him. I hardly ever did anything physical. But there was a family game night. We were playing Monopoly. And Lord knows what happens when you play Monopoly. Nothing good. And it had been probably, you know, three and a half years of Nick just poking at me. And I literally pushed him out of a chair and stood over him. And I've never seen him so afraid in my life. And I didn't hit him. I didn't do anything. I just pushed him out of the chair and looked at him. And my parents still like telling that story to this day. I bet they do. I bet they do. Shout out. Cause I know, I, I think your dad actually listened to the last episode. So what up Ted? Oh, uh, sure that's wild, bro. Cause like, I've literally, I've never seen you lose your cool and you have definitely seen me lose mine. Uh, you've kept me out of jail a couple of times. We don't have to go down that road moving. No big forward. deal. No big deal. What a no big point. deal. Um, okay. So Amanda, as a coach, what were you able to tell like, in the first day or two, like, Oh, that kid's going to be good. And Oh, that kid's going to be bad. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, is it, is it obvious from the get go or did it take a while to realize who's good and who's bad? Well, I think it takes, uh, so one thing about debate that is hilarious is debate camp in the summer where you go for like two to six weeks and stay at a college campus and do debate all day, every day, like a sports camp, but yeah, it's debate. Uh, so we debate is a sport. I'm, I'm convinced debate is a sport. Yeah, yeah me too. And I, now I want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Go mm-hmm. look up on, there's some documentaries and you can look on YouTube, like policy debate. You'll see them. It'll explain more of the intricacies of the culture. And it's like its whole own world of things. I love it. So that's friggin' awesome. But yeah. So like, what was like, when you were coaching, did you have like the, the all-star kid that you like knew from the beat? Like, okay, this kid's going to be like, yeah. So we'd get these kids at debate camp, uh, which I coached like high school debate camp when I was in college and then both high school and college debate camp when I was a graduate student. And so we'd get a couple weeks with these kids and it's like, by the end of those two weeks, three weeks, it's like, yep, these people you can play, but you don't, 
there's always people who surprise you, but for the most part, you know, like usually there's some hot shot who's like, Oh, he won a bunch of tournaments last year. Like she's really smart. She's really fast. You know, you know, some of the kids who are like clearly performing above the other kids. But I think there's kind of also those kids you see who are like smart and maybe just haven't learned the technical skills of debate yet. And you talk to them about stuff and it's like, they get it. They're like, yeah, got it, got it, got it. It's like, you can just see their little brains like devouring information. It's like, yeah, they're gonna, they've got the like drive and the smarts to do it. And I think another like really big component of who will be successful is people that work hard. Cause there's kids that show up and kind of dick around and, oh yeah, even if they're like really good, it's like, well, I'm good. So I don't have to work very hard. And it's like, no, you're good. Everybody here is good. You, you also like, have to try. Yeah. Way to go. You're good in your like UIL circuit of like six high schools in middle of Texas. Uh-huh. Like you're at the baby level. Like you don't even know how much there is to learn. Like I went into college debate, like, yeah, I'm pretty good. Like I went to the tournament of champions. I mean, I had a two and five record, but I was there, there and that was like my goal for high school. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go in and like qualify to the national debate tournament first year. I'm going to be on the top teams. Like, mm, I got cut down real quick. Like, <laughs> no, you don't even know how much you don't know. So it's, but it's like the kids who work hard. And that's like my husband who is younger than me. Uh, he first came in. It's like, yeah, he's from like a little podunk town in the middle of Texas. Maybe he doesn't know, like have the technical training that some of these kids from, especially kids from like big private schools or like big rich schools like Kincaid in Houston or St. Mark's in Dallas or like kids at Georgetown Day School is in Washington, D.C. And it's where like all the politicians kids go to school or like lobbyist kids. It's like, yeah, yeah you got a lot of money. So you get like a lot of money for your debate team. So yep. he came in. He's pretty smart and he worked harder than like anybody I know. And it's like by the time he was in his last year, it's like he also qualified to the national debate tournament. It's like because he worked his ass off. It's like it's not necessarily about like, are you smart enough? You have to be smart, but it's also about hard work. And so that's like if you see the kids who are willing to put in the effort and are like showing up early, working over lunch, you come out at midnight in the do- to do dorm checks and they're out in the hallway cutting cards. It's like, yeah, those kids get a chance because they're they earned it and so it's like you know sometimes they work really hard and are like well you're just not that good like sorry bro yeah Yeah. but it's like but you worked hard so you get more opportunities and so that's what I always felt like it's like you got to have some basic smarts but it's really about like the kids who work hard or the ones that like often end up succeeding and like I said it's so competitive that if you aren't willing to work hard you're gonna fall out it doesn't matter how smart you are, how talented you are, you're going to fall out of the race because you have to work insanely hard to even have a chance at competing. Yeah. It just, that makes me think of the NBA so much, just like, right. Like these guys work really hard and maybe they're not the most talented. Maybe they're not the best, but they stick around at the bottom of the league, hopping from Mm -hmm. team to team just because their work ethic. And then you get somebody like Kawhi Leonard who comes into the league, right. And he's got raw talent, but he's not totally polished yet. And he works and he works and he gets better and better. And yeah, yeah that's, it makes total like a, sense. Just like a Jamal said, Crawford yeah. type. Like, yeah, sure. He was never like the, the, the elite, but you know, the, he, he just tried. Like the only difference is, I guess you, you kind of have to be born tall to be in the NBA, but I guess you kind of have to be born smart to be hey. a debate. You know, there's, yeah. there's some, there's, there's, there's some, a limit, right? You have to have some innate ability. Uh, yeah. There is someone, 
Muggsy Bogues and I are the same height. And <laughs> is a baller. So it's like, I you know what? Bugs. You got to, maybe that's like a disadvantage. If you're not smart, like maybe you're at a disadvantage in debate. But if you work hard, you don't know your potential or that like, man, maybe I'm like, like this kid I know named John. He knows like, has zero interest in the government. It's like, nope, don't want to know about it. Don't care. Smart in a different way. And just like was able to utilize that that he understood things like philosophy and postmodernism and could explain, which I'm still like, we were debate partners for a year. And I'm like, uh, what are you talking about? I don't understand any of this. And he's just like, Oh yeah. Heidegger and this and this and this. And I'm like, <laughs> I okay. I'll like t- sure. I'll repeat the words you tell me, but I don't understand <laughs> what we're saying. And he was able to utilize his strengths in a different way. That's like, we are very opposite. And I'm maybe more of a traditional debater because I care about the government and policies and like, oh, which administration is going to do it and which branch of which thing. And he's like, no, what about like being? And it's like, right, like (laughs) a very different type of smartness. And he was able to use that and become like very successful. It's like smart in a different way, but almost everybody can get smarter if they try. Like there's some innate smartness, but debate is a lot of work and like no matter what you will come out smarter if you work hard at it at the end way smarter because you just learn things like how to think and how to evaluate arguments and how to even in your workflow like okay I've got 65 assignments I need to do but I can't do 65 assignments in five days so what should I prioritize how can I like double cover how can I like make something work in more places or like you have you learn a lot about like time management and like prioritization and all these external skills that are not debate, but will make you like a way smarter person. I friggin' love it. Okay. So that kind of leads me to this then is there, because we as just as a species and specifically as Americans, we love to argue. We just do. Is there anything nowadays that could be brought up that cannot be argued? You know what I mean? Because like, we'll argue God, we'll argue who's the best quarterback, we'll argue where's the best taco, we'll argue just about everything. Is there anything genuinely that y'all can think of that could not be argued modern day world? I mean, I wouldn't think so just because perspective matters. Like, And also just establishing ground rules, ignorance is different than rejection of truth, right? Like. Ah. Not knowing that something exists or not knowing, like, you know, your two-year-old, you know, your daughter doesn't know about gravity, right? Yeah. Well. She That's a good point, actually. She tried jumping I, out of a window recently. Dude, no, I just love that you said that because literally I had gravity teed up. I was going to try and work you all down to where you eventually said, well, of course, we can't debate gravity. But guess what, guys? People are debating gravity as we speak. There is a anti-gravity alliance. You can Google it. Uh, their website starts big, bold letters. Gravity is a lie. Uh, they've got a whole bunch of nonsense, and it's absolutely absurd. They sound like flat earthers. You know what I mean? They, they genuinely do. But then you get to Professor Eric Verlinde, University of Amsterdam. He actually disagrees with Einstein on the idea of gravity at all. Direct quote is, gravity does not exist. He's a professor. Like there are literally people nowadays and look, he seems to know it's like, I sort of tried to read what he was saying. And like, I just 
I'm not Amanda. You might be able to understand it, Eric. You might be able to. I cannot Ooh. understand what this boy just put out. Probably because it makes no sense. <laughs> a professor is no guarantee that you're right, that you're smart, that you have any kind of like. And once you get tenure, you can go off any rabbit hole you want and say whatever you want, and what they can't really fire you for it. Yeah, you slap a platform is just a platform. It's not necessarily. And a, I don't know, like, what is he a professor in or at what school? It's like qualifications are only like the surface it's like hmm. there's a lot more to probe about like who is this person are they should we really believe them yeah I, are they crazy are i they don't really know anything about their mind. gravity but it's like uh everybody else except this one guy seems to be <laughs> right what are the chances that 99.9 percent of everyone is wrong and this guy is right it's like but that's but that's it should be. Is that your point though joe is that what you're yes, saying like, every always no somebody out there playing the contrarian someone's straight but like and this guy look maybe he's just a pro level contrarian maybe he's just like the, the the best troll of all time and he's just doing but it doesn't seem like it you know what i mean like these flat earthers he some of them convicted by what he's saying and he's yeah some of these flat earthers like i've watched a couple of stupid reddit videos of these people but like they believe it like it, 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 you know it, it, i'm sure i've believed similarly idiotic things as a youth or whatever but like that's kind of my point is that we love arguing so much we will argue everything so i, I guess to try and end this uh, with a question that doesn't even make sense i admit but it is 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 the main part of arguing at least the, the idea of like not having a respectful disagreement not having a sport like debate not having like fun banter actually like angry arguing is the real purpose there just just digging in deep to, to, to your own, just in a sense, entrenching yourself in your own self, just supporting your own ego and just justifying your own existence just by saying, I am not wrong, just planting a flag in whatever it is you're planting a flag in. It doesn't matter what it is. But is that almost the point of why we argue as much as we do? We just like to say, no, this is me and I'm never wrong. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Is that, is that that's a terrible form of the question, but do you get what I'm angling at? Is that why we do it so much? I think arguing is like a form of identity formation and defense of like, who am I? Like, what makes me me? It's like, oh, well, I'm this, I'm that. And it's like, well, if someone's like, well, that's bad. It's like, well, that's going to cause me to question like, well, do I want to be that? But if it's like, like you're, we were talking about kind of like with being in a political party, like, okay, I would say I'm a Democrat. So it's like, if someone's like, well, Democrats are evil. I'm going to be like, hey, hey, no, that's because that's part of my identity. And I think that's like a lot of why we, have so many debates is because it's like deep down figuring out like who am I and what is my place in the world what is the world that I'm trying to exist in and you know navigating those things that are like base human desires to know who you are and where what you are in the world and so I think like arguing is a way of like do we can we figure out the answer to some of those questions about ourselves and about the world around us and like that truth seeking that I think is like all humans desire to find the truth at some level. Like, otherwise, why is there such a fascination with conspiracy theories? It's like all about finding the real truth. And it's like, if I can prove a conspiracy theory, like that's part of me as an identity is like, look, I was smart enough to see past the, the smoke screen or to like figure it out. So I think even like that level of argumentation where it's like, you know, is Bigfoot real? Probably not. But People will defend that because it's like, oh, if I'm right, then it proves that I'm smarter than everybody else. It's ego. Yeah, like I'm not a therapist or psychologist or any sort of ist, I would say. But 
I mean, isn't a lot of it just wanting to be seen and heard and understood and just sort of knowing yourself and just sort of having validation in some way, shape or form, whether it's your own validation or somebody else's? Mm-hmm. Like we see that in all sorts of places. And I imagine arguing is just a part of that. And I think going back to what you said, Joe, about like arguing that it's like beyond logical, rational arguing where it's like involving a lot of yelling or a yeah. lot of deep seated emotions. I think that is like when you get to that point, it's like, well, nobody's going to change their mind in the middle of a heated argument when your emotions are raised. And it's like that's like a different way of interacting with people is when you have that like emotional conflict and like definitely having a kid and having to see all this is like their emotions are so right out there all the time. Right. Like you have to confront emotions so head on, but like you can't get involved in the emotions. Otherwise it like spirals to temper tantrum city. So it's like adult, but adults don't see each other that way. Like, you're not willing to be like, okay, I can see you're mad at me and I can see you're really angry. So maybe we take five minutes and come back to this question. It's like adults don't do that to each other because it's patronizing. But and, I've also never had to yell at an adult. It's like, let me brush your teeth. Well, Just yeah. let me do it. I've never had to say that to an adult. So that's <laughs> the old comedy bit. It was like, well, we can't go. Why? Because Joe won't put his shoes on. Won't put his shoes on. <laughs> put your shoes on yeah dude yeah dude every day but like okay yeah i fight with my kid about brushing his teeth and people are fighting about wearing masks and people fight about drunk driving and it's like these are obvious things that everyone should be doing it's like wear a mask don't drive drunk don't murder each other don't these are simple you know very concepts that you shouldn't be doing and people do that all the time so the time Look, and they will and they will argue for it they will argue like I, i'm not gonna say his name because i love this guy whatever but he literally argued he had like nine ten drinks and he was like oh i do this all the time let's go drive and i was just like i can't physically stop you i don't know that legally that i'm even allowed to you know what i mean like i a i don't want to i'm not tough b i just don't know if i can legally like physically stop you from getting in your car but like you the fact that you're arguing this and have argued it more than one time to me like what what is your basis and rationale? And I, I get it. I think it's ego. I think both, both of you all put it far more eloquently than I did, but that's what it is. It's just expressing that this, this, I want to just prove that I'm right and I'm capable. And I, this is just me. And they just do it anyways, with regards to any of the topics that are just for whatever reason, still debated nowadays. It's absurd. <laughs> well, y'all good shit. Thanks for coming on. Like genuinely, Amanda, like this was awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad yeah, we really got great. to talk and, if you have more debate questions, I'm happy to yes. talk to you about them. Or absolutely, actually, yeah. I do have one. Where should where should somebody start if they want to like learn about debate or watch something on YouTube or watch a movie or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think there's a documentary. I'm googling it. Uh, yeah, it's called Resolved. It came out in 2007, and it kind of like follows a couple teams and shows you kind of the world of like high school policy debate. And you'll see the fast talking, you'll see the like crazy tournaments where it's like each debate round is two hours and you're doing eight rounds. And then probably quarterfinals, semifinals, four break rounds. So if you win the tournament, you've debated 12 rounds, probably over three days. So that's four rounds per day. Each round is two hours start to finish plus an hour of preparation time. So you have an hour of prep time, a two hour debate, then the judge decides and tells you out loud their decision to your face. So you probably have another hour of like listening to the judge, asking questions, whatever. Then, okay, run to the cafeteria, shovel down some food because the next debate starts in 20 minutes. I need a nap just thinking about it. So it's like 6 a.m. to midnight 
for three to four days. Besides taking a nap or working, when's the last time you did anything for two hours in a row, bruh? Because I can't genuinely think of the last I mean, time. Yeah, other than like sit on my couch and watch sports, it's been a yeah. hot. <laughs> no. I don't even work for two hours straight. <laughs> I sit on my desk and work for two hours straight? Are you kidding me? And there's no like slack off moments. It's like that debate yeah. starts and you are always on. You are, yeah. Yeah. And you can't take plays off. You can't just chill off the. Right. And it's like, you got to be listening. You got to be taking notes. You got to be pulling evidence. You got to be, okay, even if it's not your speech, your partner has to give a speech. So you're pulling evidence for them. You're writing like little explanations for them. You're like helping them get stuff ready. So it's like, even if you're done with your two speeches, if your partner still got a speech, you still got to help them get ready. And even if it's like the other team just has one more speech, you still want to listen and take notes so that when the judge gives their decision, you're not just like, oh, I guess they said that. You're right. Because you want to know, like, hey, yeah, I don't, why? did they yeah, say this? What, where did they say that? Like, how did you come to this conclusion? You know, so you got to listen to all the speeches so you can talk about it afterwards. So it's like, yeah, you're like four hours straight with like, not, I mean, maybe you have a couple, like two minutes here or there where it's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm just waiting. Maybe the other team's getting their speech ready. But so it's you like, know what I would go to an adult daycare known as high school and then go bowling for two hours. Yeah, literally like cut out from class to go bowling. It, you know, That's I think this is why debate was so appealing to a lot of like kids who are smart, but are kind of maybe outcasts or are just bored in school. Like it's like, okay, yes, this is yeah. daycare for teenagers. Like I'm really bored. This homework is stupid. There's no point. And debate is like, okay, you don't want to do it. Don't do it. But you want to win. Actually engages. You have to do it. Yeah. And it's like, you don't have to follow the rules. You don't have to do it in the way that they tell you to. You just get to play the game. And it's like. It's a form of expression. Right. Yeah. And so it's like gets a lot of people who are smart, but not necessarily straight A students, you know, not necessarily like. Engaged. The popular kids are not like the debate stars. It's like, oh, yeah, you got a bunch of like weirdos and outcasts and like. That's why I always enjoyed hanging out with you. all like, The freaks and geeks. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude. You and Mick Mick were always fun to party with. And like, that was just, you know what I mean? Like, it was just, I always felt like, oh, I can hang out with you guys. Like, that's cool. Yeah. I can't and it's like, shit, but it's fun to hang out. I love my debate friends because they're like such an interesting group of people. Everybody has such a different perspective on life. And it's like, just interesting, smart people. I'm actually going to see Mick Mick uh, in a week or two. Dude, give him a hug for me. So, like, that, yeah. I haven't seen that guy in forever. I still periodically, uh, whenever someone wants to do a toast, I still toast to honor because that guy taught me that years, years ago. Uh, e off air, we'll say that one because I'm not going to leave that one on air. Yeah. But uh, both of y'all, thank you very much for your time. This was awesome. And anybody out there still listening, thanks for making an hour and 10 into this. See y'all next time.